biryani the most sought after indian meal it leaves a mark on the taste buds and heart equally from avadhi to dindigal from malabar to hyderabadi there's a version of this mouthwatering dish in every region of india but what if i tell you that it was never ours welcome to tracing the threads of food with ditya a place where we trace the origin of some of our favorite foods and also look at some bizarre food facts now let's leave the hellos apart and get right into the food part what do you feel when you sit in front of your favorite food the foodie in me can't take my eyes off the aroma makes me hungry and i dig in then the explorer in me wakes up and i keep thinking about where it all started my thoughts take me to the kitchen the market the farms and further and further okay let me come back to reality am i the only weirdo i would be happy to know i'm not the only one if you do this as well type me in the chat box some company is always fun Okay, Ramya says me. That's nice to know. No one else? Okay, Riva too. That's nice to know. I guess that's enough about me and my foodie explorer self. Let's hop on to the food tracing vehicle and buckle our seat belts. But wait a sec. Aren't we missing someone? Let me introduce my panelists for the day, Twessa and Reva. Twessa, tell our audience a bit about yourself, please. Hello. My name is Twessa and I'm 7 years old, studying in grade 1. I love nature, animals, especially elephants, and I love reading books and would like to become an illustrator someday. That was great, Twessa. Reva, we know you, but I would love to know the foodie side of you. I'm sure that's not a side that we have known before. All right, sure, Ditya. Hi, I'm Reva Upadhyay, a 12-year-old Bukhosnian from the heart of Delhi. I'm a huge foodie who loves to explore new cuisines and write and read and listen to music in my free time. That's great to know too, Reva. Hmm. Now, I'm hungry. Ah, the imaginary smell of candy. Guys, what's your favorite candy? cotton candy same here twasa minus cotton candy too did you know a dentist invented cotton candy i mean really wow what was he thinking oh that's nice to know ramya mango bite 
Did his customers complain that the tooth filling he used on them was salty? <laughs> well, that I'm not so sure. But what is absolutely amazing is that he sold 68,000 boxes of it at the St. Louis World Fair. People went gaga over it. Can you imagine 68,000 boxes of sweet-smelling cotton candy under your nose? Yum. Good thing I wasn't the one selling it. Poor things wouldn't have gotten anything to lick. <laughs> that was nice. But how did he create it? I mean, a dentist inventing candy is weird enough, isn't it? But how did he do it? Surely he must have had a partner. And he did. He teamed up with a candy maker friend and together they made it on a rickety machine. Few years later, due to the continuous complaints of the machine going buck, buck, boo, they needed an alternative. And another company came to their rescue. They built a better machine and that technology is still used to make cotton candies. Now, how does the word cotton candy come in? I think I forgot to mention that it was called candy, fairy floss before. Sorry about that. Anyways, there was another dentist who got into this industry. Guess the profits from the candy business interested him. Or was he thinking that he would feed people a lot of candies and treat their cavities himself? Whatever was his reason, he wasn't lucky enough. Poor guy didn't make it big. But he did coin one term, cotton candy. Reason? It was candy and it resembled cotton. Simple enough. In case you didn't, don't know, the cotton candy is mostly air and it has less of sugar in it compared to other candies. Well, I should bargain with my mom for two cotton candies in place of my usual one daily candy quota. Now, that reminds me of a fun fact. Food-obsessed pirate. That is right, a food-obsessed pirate gave us the words cashew, tortilla, barbecue, soy sauce, and chopsticks. Thanks, dude. I owe you one. Because I love them all. Minus the cashews. Okay, time for a question. What's your favorite form of ice cream? Sounds difficult? Chill, folks. I have you covered. Here are a few options to make your job easy. A scoop in a bowl, ice cream in a cone, or ice cream on a stick. Come on, take your pick and let me know in the chat. It's definitely ice cream in a cone for me. Sure thing, Reva. Same for me. The waffle-like texture and the smooth ice cream. Just enough to give you the crunch and the... <laughs> but was it always there? Ice cream used to be served in bowls and was eaten with a spoon. Boring times, right? And in the same fair where cotton candy was sold. Yeah, the same fair. A Syrian immigrant, Ernest A. Hamui, was busy rolling out a Syrian delight, Zalabis. And the vendor next to him was an ice cream guy. The ice cream guy's business was booming. There was a huge queue in front of him. And he couldn't scoop fast enough to serve the crowd. Well, he sure was not an octopus. And he was running out of bowls. What to do? 
he would lose his business if he doesn't meet the demand of the crowd waiting expectantly to taste his ice cream. And Hamwi next door was already losing business. Who wanted zalabis on a hot day? So he got a brainwave. He rolled out the zalabis and handed it to the ice cream vendor who placed a scoop of ice cream in it. The first customer bit into it. And boy, his face told his answer. He loved it every bit and so did everyone else in the queue that day. And the world still loves ice creams in cones. So that next time we bite into the crunchy cone of a Coronato. We know who to thank for that. Here's another fun fact. Did you know three men at different times tried to push a peanut up a mountain with their nose? Poor fellows. I wonder what the condition of their noses was after this adventure. They might have looked like ripe cherries on their face. We have heard a lot about people who gave us some of our favorite stuff. So how's your energy meters? Do you want a quick energizer? Yup. Okay, here you go. See if you can crack this riddle. I'm almost the size of a golf ball and I swim in a golden pool. Pop me into your mouth before I fall, else you can only drool. Type your answers in the chat, please. No, Ramya, it's not Amla. But good try. Professor, would you like to give it a try? Yes. I think the answer is Gulab Jamun. Yes, Twessa. You got it absolutely right. It is Gulab Jamun. Tell me this. How many times have you gone for a buffet lunch or dinner in a hotel? And while you were sent to pick salads or main course, you went on a tour of the desert counter just to check the spread? I do that all the time. And I'll tell you a secret. My mom still does it. <laughs> I'm not someone who has an extra sweet tooth. But the next thing that I'm going to talk about is my favorite Indian sweet or mithai. I'm talking about none other than the answer of our riddle, Gulab Jamun. I was wondering if I could do a quick rewind and correct myself about what I just said now. I said Gulab Jamun is my favorite Indian sweet, but I have to rephrase. It is my favorite sweet, but it is not of Indian origin. Yes, our very own Gulab Jamun is of Persian origin. Gulab means flower water, referring to the rose water which is part of the syrup in which it gets soaked 
while jamun should have been after the blue black fruit that we relish so much in india it is said to be introduced in the indian subcontinent in the medieval period by the mughals it's interesting how a little deep digging into the name of something gives us clues to trace back its origin so next time you smile at the gorgeous gulab jamun at the dessert table do think about that old kitchen in persia or present day iran where an unknown culinary genius invented it he sure deserves a smile that his invention gets from india and the rest of the world do you find this interesting the mukals did contribute immensely to our food heritage that brings me to another fun fact leonardo da vinci has worked as a waiter a chef and a party planner and his painting the last supper is said to have been inspired from his days as a chef wow he took his passion in food rather seriously now if i tell you to place a veg order at mcdonald's which burger would you choose i don't eat burgers but i know that my mom eats paneer burger i like french fries though yes to asa paneer the humble cottage cheese that all the fast food chains replied sorry relied on to make their global best selling products appeal to the indian palate and the culture paneer for sure is our best bet for a vegetarian alternative our cuisines and restaurant menus are filled with so many paneer alternatives paneer tikka paneer butter masala kadhai paneer mutter paneer paneer jamun it spreads across starters main course and desserts now let me throw the shocker that is if you haven't guessed it yet paneer was not always made and consumed in india it was made familiar to us by the portuguese in the 17th century highly inspired by the process of cheese making in the west paneer was made by curdling milk the name paneer is derived from paneer in turkish and paneer in armenian this takes us to another story of it being originated somewhere in south asia and popularized by the afghani and iranian travelers whichever version is true probably both we have the delicious paneer on our plate now it's time for a quick panel discussion so did you know these food facts before reva and twasa absolutely no, I not certainly didn't and did you find this trip fascinating yes very very fascinating all right Moving on to the next question. Do you have any food fact to share, Tuvasa? Yes, I do have. Funny that names can sometimes be misleading. Despite the name, French fries are not French. 
they originated in Belgium. Do you know? There is a French fry museum in Belgium, world's only. You can imagine its popularity in the US by the fact that the US celebrates French Fry Day on July 13 every year. I thought of having a bit of fun, so here's a fun tongue twister for you. Freaky flies frequently flee French fries. Freaky flies frequently flee French fries. Try saying this thrice. Back to you, Dia. That was great, Tvesa. Reva, what about you? Do you have a food fact? Yeah, I do actually. So, do any one of you know the real story of our beloved Pao? Alright, well, let me tell you. So, the story of Pao begins many years ago with the Portuguese invasion of Goa. The Portuguese residing in India missed their daily diet of bread and meat, although many adopted the dietary habits of Goans. So, they also wanted to have some remembrance of their homeland. So, they asked a chef that was aboard the ship with them to create some bread for them with the local ingredients. And so, they added a variety of European breads, crusty white rolls, and the sweet milk bread called Pau de Lo to the Indian repertoire. From Goa, it travelled to Mumbai, probably thanks to entrepreneurs and the Goans who were looking for a living in Mumbai. And since then, the Portuguese Pau de Lo became our beloved Indian Pau. How about that? That was pretty cool too. I sure like collecting bizarre food facts. Girls, do you have something that I can add to my collection? I do have one bizarre fact. E120 is a deep red color made from crushed cochineal beetles. The beetles live on cattle mainly in Peru and when crushed, create a rich red color. This is refined and used as a food additive. You ask why? So that food companies can write no artificial colors on the packaging. That's cool. I never knew that. Reva, what about you? Yeah, I also have a bizarre food fact. Did you know a baseball player once challenged an ostrich to a spaghetti-eating competition. Take a wild guess about who won. Um, was it the ostrich? No, actually. It was the baseball player. He won by the 11th wow. goal of spaghetti. Wow, he must have had a pretty big appetite. But I have a fact too. Did you know that the ninja warriors, yeah, they were in myths. They were pretty real. You know what helped them keep their, you know, agility? 
they were said to have avoided these pungent foods like garlic and onions because their enemies could smell them out wow right yeah that's truly something i didn't know before hmm now audience do you have any questions for us do type it out in chat Okay Reva your question what is your favorite traditional indian dish Okay that's pretty hard It can be a sweet i just made it even more harder for you Hmm i think i'll choose gulab jamun Archana ma'am you saying most underrated street food award goes to Hmm Pav Bhaji Hey Pav Bhaji is pretty overrated I mean I can find Pav Bhaji on every single stall near my house So in my opinion it's um what's that called yeah those uh, sweet ice cones like the one that may that they make out of uh, crushed ice I think it's called uh, barf ke gole I've stopped seeing them a long time ago. Okay. I like ice golas too. Oh, those nice little ice ones that they dip in those flavored syrups. What about you, Tessa? I like golas too. What's your favorite flavor? Strawberry. Mhm. And and mango. Wow, mango too. Strong flavors. Audience, what's your favorite flavor? Nice cola. I think mine would be khatta meetha that's like it just entertains my taste buds a lot. Yeah, that I like agree with Reva. Certainly. Did you know what the food of the future will be? Hmm. 
let me guess there will be high class pills that uh, when we eat them will taste all sorts of stuff without actually having to eat it surprisingly the answer is insect ew seriously yes there are lot of researches on that Actually I guess that's pretty true because I read somewhere that there are actually markets from where you can buy insects and eat. Yeah and it makes sense because insects have a lot of protein in them it's actually they're pretty healthy. But I certainly didn't expect that to find out that 20 years later I'll be eating insects for my lunch and dinner. Yeah we do. I was about to say maybe something It's kind of similar to yours, Jeeva. Maybe something that changes taste to, you know, what you want to eat it. You know, what do you feel like eating that sort? Yeah, because there are a lot of research going on about that. But yeah, thanks a lot, Tessa, for sharing that. I'm kind of paranoid now, though. Yeah, you aren't really gonna be sure, are you? Maybe they'll have cricket soup. There is cricket pasta available. Okay, that's really gross. <laughs> and there are also cr- cricket flour and cricket bars. Wow. But the Chinese eat it and many regional regional cuisines have it. But currently, yeah, like I said, I feel a bit gross about it. There are 2 billion people eating insects already. Well, they won't have a problem eating insects in the future then. Yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah, exactly. Talking about pills, if at all that happens, do you think they can replace what food does to our body? Oh no, no way. I would rather eat the homemade food that's made by my mom than some random scientist in a factory. Oh, what about a tongue? Yeah, maybe the scientists can tweak into the flavors that will definitely make our tongue feel better. But you know, it's just not the same. What about the temperature of the food? What if I'm craving some hot tomato soup on a cold day? And also, nothing sure beats it. Yeah, and also the fact that cooking and you know making food, food itself has been a huge part of human culture and tradition. So you can't just re, you know uh, erase it off the face of earth. So I don't think yeah. it's actually ever possible. And food brings comfort, and it is more of an emotion. And I'm pretty sure that pills certainly won't be accepted by us foodies. Yeah, exactly. I am never going to back down in front of a tiny pill on my plate. Yeah, it's not only about eating and tasting. It's also about smelling and feeling. But you won't be able to do that all in pills. Yeah, it's like they say that you know you're supposed to see your food, feel your food, and then eat your food. You know, you feel it with all your senses. 
Besides, what if our mothers trick us into eating spinach pills and we don't even know about it, or some other thing that we don't like to eat? We won't be able to make a disgusted face at it. We won't even be able to know what that food is until it's already in our stomachs. So that's very creepy for me. Uh huh. While we eat to live, food is surely live to eat. But hey, this reminds me of a character from one of the books I read, whose mom actually hid all these veggies that you know he wouldn't eat in a pizza just because he likes pizzas. Like she put a banana on the pizza. Oh my gosh! Wow. So reminding, I have a like a. I remember something with bananas on a pizza. There is a huge debate going on among foodies, so I want to ask you this, Sitya, and you, Tessa, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you have a pineapple on your pizza? The greatest question of all times. While I love pineapples and I love pizzas, you know my answer. It's a certain no. What about certain you? Certainly no. What about you, Tessa? I wouldn't, but I know that many people would. Wow. Well, I'm glad that you guys think so. Because what about you, Reva? Would yeah. you prefer it? No, 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 no. Please. I mean, I love pineapple and all. I love it in the summers, but on a pizza, no. It will just completely ruin it. Certain combinations are crazy. That reminds me of barbecue pineapples I had. Oh, that's interesting. I've never had those before. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> well, we sure had an interesting podcast and an interesting discussion. Thank you everyone for coming and thank you girls for being my panelists today. You're very welcome to that was very much Thank fun. you Bina, thank you Rosa. Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. And before I go thanks so much to Archana aunty and Bukosmia for allowing us to do this and for also training us. Yeah exactly. Thank you everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.